0: And as you have a seat, I'm going to invite you to dig deep here in your memory bank uh, to see if you can recall and remember. Do you remember, by a show of hands, your very first junior high dance? Oh, yeah. Good memories, huh? All right. Well, for me, and I would actually suspect for many, but the reason we remember it is because was that not the most awkward event of your entire life? I don't even know. Um, really, I just I remember actually getting ready for the event uh, it was awkward enough in itself, in that uh, I was at the age where, like, I kind of cared what I smelled like. <laughs> but not enough to actually shower regularly. And uh, this was a, a little bit back in the day, so this, for some of you uh, junior high, high school boys, this is pre-axe like Axe body spray and stuff like that, uh, and so we had to resort to other means, and uh, I can't believe I've said this all weekend, but oh well. Um, I would, uh, to help myself in this uh, you know junior high stank mode, I would take <laughs> um, gel deodorant and not only put it where it belongs, but then proceed to roll it over my body, and uh, yeah, and so I remember walking into my very first junior high dance, uh, wearing my cologne of choice, uh, Old, Fry, uh, Old Spice Fresh uh, gel stick, and I walk in, and no one's dancing, uh, everyone's just, I, I don't even know, honestly, I don't even know why they call it a, a dance, they should just call it a junior high stand, because... <laughs> That's really kind of what happens. But, uh, you know, as the night progressed, uh, you know, there was some movement that starts to, you know, take place. And I remember asking this girl, Carrie, if uh, she wanted to be my girlfriend. Uh, Actually, I asked my friend, asked one of her friends, asked her if she would. And so by the end of the night, uh, sure enough, I have my very first dance with my my first girlfriend, Carrie. And uh, I remember uh, in that dance, I'm convinced, we rewrote the book. On the area of dance in the area of performing arts, <laughs> in that you know the dance known as the robot, you know the robot. Yeah, um, we 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 totally uh, rewrote that dance uh, by standing 18 feet apart <laughs> with our arms outstretched uh, like Frankenstein robots and um, doing this. to Brian Adams, everything I do, I do it for you, and now you know I'm not on the praise team. Um, well, we've been in a series where uh, we've been looking at uh, uncomfortable and awkward uh, Situations where Jesus has entered into, unlike you know, our junior high dances. I mean, everything about junior high is awkward, but uh, I overcame my awkwardness in order to uh, you know, maybe land a junior high girlfriend. We see that Jesus overcame the awkwardness so that those who were far from God might come to know God through him. And that's what Jesus was willing to do. In fact, it was because of these uncomfortable interactions that Jesus went headlong into that critics said of him, that this man, this Jesus, he welcomes sinners and eats with them. Because in that day and age, to eat with someone is really to say, hey, we're going to be friends. And so thus, the title of our series, Eats with Sinners. Uh, And then recognizing, as we talk about eating with sinners, that uh, that's all of us, that we have all sinned, as it says in Romans 3.23, and fallen short of the glory of God. We can go to that next slide with those verses, yeah. And uh, the good news is, Uh, In light of the bad news that we are separated from a relationship with God because of our sin, the good news is, is that Jesus, the Son of Man, came, therefore, to seek and save us from our sin, to seek and save the lost. And so we see Jesus taking on uncomfortable interactions, conversations, and relationships so that those who don't know God might know God through him. And today's meal that we're going to look at with Jesus is no different. In fact, it's considered by most that this is the most awkward and uncomfortable of all the meals that Jesus enters into. And uh, I think it's going to set us up well, because in fairness, we've asked you to step into some uncomfortable and awkward conversations when it comes to taking that leap of faith to invite someone, to bring someone to one of our five services on September 6th. And seventh, um, where when you have those interactions, those conversations, you're going to get different kinds of responses uh, that we actually see, I think, represented in this story that we're going to look at for Jesus. So we're going to have Jesus help us interact with people in these awkward and uncomfortable conversations, again, for the sake that those who don't know God might know God through Him. And so we find uh, this meal with sinners in Luke chapter seven. Uh, so I invite you to turn there in your Bible or the Bible. Uh, that's in the pew rack in front of you or your smart thing that has Bibles on it. And we're gonna look at a story where uh, we have a setting of a Pharisee who has heard of Jesus and wanted to find out more. He wanted to find out if there really was something to this guy. And so he has Jesus, along with several other uh, distinguished guests, if you will, over for a meal. And so we pick up the story of that meal in Luke chapter seven, starting in verse 36. It says, when one of the Pharisees, uh, whose name was Simon, which we'll see in a second, when Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now before we go any further, we see that this story opens up with three dinner guests, if you will. We have Simon the Pharisee, the sinful woman, and of course, Jesus himself. And so looking at these three characters, we see that the first guest really is is not a guest at all. That Simon, this Pharisee, is actually the host. And when we read this, the, the writer of this Gospel, Luke, he is really more interested in communicating that he was, in fact, a Pharisee than even getting to his name, In fact, we see that word Pharisee three times just in those first two verses. And the reason for this is that in ancient writings, to use repetition like that would be, you could say, the contemporary English equivalent of multiple exclamation marks uh, that, hey, Luke really wants you to know, this guy in our story, he was a Pharisee. And the reason it's so important to highlight that he's a Pharisee is because a Pharisee was, uh, he was among the religious elite. He was the Jewish ruling council. Um, It's like if you could say that religion and spirituality had a board of directors, like Simon would be it. A Pharisee would be a part of it. So you could get no higher up uh, the religious and spiritual food chain than being that of a Pharisee. And this is highlighted because this is going to be proven to be quite ironic given the spiritual conversation that's going to happen with Jesus. And so... We see our first character there. Uh, Our second dinner guest, uh, well, in fairness, was really no guest at all. But candidly, she was an intruder. And she is described as being known as, quote, a woman who had, or excuse me, who lived a sinful life. Or in other words, as we'd say, she had a reputation. She had a reputation. And uh, most scholars believe, in fact, that she was a prostitute. And so we see these two characters, and as we start off our story, and we're going to see how each of these characters react to our third dinner guest, Jesus. And so we see this in verse 38. Picking back up. Uh, so busting in uninvited, she, this sinful woman, she stood behind Jesus at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them up with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee, who had invited Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, in other words, if this Jesus was really a guy sent from God, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is and that she is a sinner. And so we see here, we have our dinner host and our uninvited dinner intruder, each reacting to our dinner guest, Jesus, but reacting in two very different ways. Boiled down, you could say that the Pharisee uh, reacts, and we can conclude this from the murmuring under his breath, that essentially, you know, I had Jesus over, and he's just not that impressive after all. For if he really was a guy sent by God, a prophet, they would, he would have known who was touching him and certainly would not have let Her touch him. So this Pharisee concludes essentially you know, he is just too good for Jesus. He's too good for Jesus. Yet on the inverse, we have this woman who reacts uh, really the opposite way, who um, almost seems and feels unworthy through her bowing down and this act of humility uh, of uh, giving this very expensive gift, probably earned through uh, ill means of of this perfume and and washing Jesus free. And almost again, it's a very awkward interaction, uh, but just expressing that she feels that she is not worthy. She is not good enough for Jesus. And as we look at these two characters, I think that we can find these characters in one way or another represented in our own friendships and spheres of influence. Uh, people who uh, you know, think um, as they respond to Jesus and his church that they have one of these two responses or reactions. Uh, one being again that uh, maybe there's friends of yours who just think they're just not good enough to walk into a church. Uh, maybe they think they don't have the right clothes or um, you know, I think for a lot of them it's just that they, you don't have the right pre-church understanding, like the social cues, like they don't, you know, even if they can make it to walking in, they don't know, you know, where do I walk? And then once I get there, um, you know, where do I sit? And then uh, once I've learned where to sit, like when do I sit and when do I stand and do I do, you know? And so it's these things that can really be a hang-up uh, for people walking into a church, and I understand that. Um, there's also those who think just because of the life that they live, like they like think that the way that their life and they lead their life is... Um, is so outside of what would be accepted at church that that the last place that they feel like they could be welcomed is a church. But Jesus, however, says the church is to be the first place that they would be welcomed. He says it this way in Luke 5.31, reminding us it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And so in the same way, I have not come to call the righteous, big quotes on that, but sinners, to repentance. In John 3, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to come and condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so we have in our lives people who feel like they're not good enough, who have not experienced the reality uh, of what Jesus has to say in those passages. But we also have those uh, friends and relationships who, kind of like the Pharisee, in one way or another, think they're just, they're just too good for Jesus and church and all that's in between. Uh, for some, it's a, it's a pride issue. That faith, Jesus and his church, it's, it's, uh, I've heard it said this way, that it's a, that's just a crutch for weak people. Um, for others, it's an, it's an intellect card that seems to always trump the faith card. Uh, now, while we in no means suggest checking our brains at the door when we walk into the room, in fact, Romans even says that we need to renew our minds uh, in Christ Jesus. And so uh, the intellect is definitely a part of it. But the Bible also talks about there are aspects of our faith in Jesus Christ uh, that is, quote, a mystery. It's a mystery to be embraced that where the intellect cannot go, faith then comes in as well. Because the reality is when it comes to our, our questions, you know, for all of us in the room, uh, frankly, those outside of the room, everybody is going to cross, regardless if you're a believer or not, everyone crosses over from this life into the next with unanswered questions. We all do. But we must not let the reality that none of our, or all, not all of our intellectual hang-ups are going to get clean and clear this side of the grave, keep us from faith. In fact, Romans 1 warns us in this regard. It says this, that for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, they have been clearly seen, they have been known, made known, uh, being understood from what has been made so that the people are without excuse. It says for although they knew God, they could see God, they neither glorified him, they didn't give him the credit as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking, their, their intellect, it became futile. In other words, the, the intellect became their own worst enemy in faith development. And their foolish hearts were darkened. And so we have those in our our lives that they they just can't get past that either because of the intellect or a pride issue. And we have those who just think they're they're too good uh, for it all, for Jesus and his church and just some misunderstandings there. Uh, A third category that I want to add that's not articulated per se in our story, but that we all face in our lives are those who, um, well, I guess you could say they've been to church. And that's the problem in that uh, it's not inviting someone to church for a first time. It's getting them to be convinced that they would want to walk into a church for a second time as a result of a previous bad experience. Um, for some, it, you know, it might just be that they had been to church and it was just, it was boring. It was irrelevant to where they were at in their lives. Jim Rayborn, founder of Young Life, is accredited for saying, it's a sin to make the Bible boring. Or maybe the experience they had was just, just a weird one, like it was just, just weird, and they, uh, this particular church maybe didn't take into account uh, what Colossians four five says, that we need to be, quote, wise in the way that we act toward outsiders, wise in the way that we treat those who are outside of the church, and to help them connect those dots. Or worse, maybe, maybe they had questions and doubts and rather, being, uh, rather than being invited to process and work through those doubts, um, they were shamed and put down for their doubts and their questions. Then, worst of all, there are those who were just flat out burned. They were, they were wounded badly by those uh, who claimed to represent Jesus but did not represent Jesus well. And so many of your friends, many of your family members, your coworkers, these, these are the stories that they're walking out of. And, and frankly, I, these are the stories of those of you in the room, and thanks be to God, you've seen the other side of it, because you're here today. Um, in fact, that was my first experience, uh, some of these things. I, I didn't grow up going to church. My first experience was as an elementary age kid, um, and I just saw church as, as boring and disconnected to where I didn't, I didn't get it. Uh, I was invited to church by a friend uh, as a fifth grade kid And that experience was just weird. I uh, was in a deal where, like, they had everyone line up and come to the front. I didn't know what was happening. Next thing I know, some guy puts his hands on my head and pushes me down. Um, thankfully, someone was there to catch me. It was my first ever trust fall. Uh, I just didn't know, I didn't get to volunteer. It was just kind of the way it went. So uh, it was just a weird experience for me. And that was a real hang up for me ever being willing to walk back into a church. Uh, and then again, thanks to the grace of God, um, came to Christ as a high school kid. Uh, but even still, it wasn't all up until the right then. a Couple years into that experience, uh, our church had a nasty church split, huge fight deal. You, you've, some of you have been a part of those. And uh, out of the five friends that, uh, that came to faith through that church that year, um, all, of, all of my friends fell away and are yet to be back a part of a life of a church. So we have these heartbreaking stories of that third category. Uh, that we just don't know what to do with, and and we recognize that this is uh, the lens through which so many of these conversations of inviting someone to church or talking to them about faith in Jesus in which it happens. And so uh, I would invite you to look back at Jesus as he, again, he's in this very awkward situation trying to navigate the interaction with the Pharisee who's got him as a guest, but you've got this woman who's barged in and kind of, she's, you know, thanking Jesus or, you know, giving worship to him, but in a way that is uncomfortable for those around. And so we're some more help from Jesus in this regard. So picking back up in verse 40. After all this went down, Jesus answered Simon, who was mumbling under his breath. Uh, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. And so I want you to recognize the posture of Simon, he's not hostile towards Jesus, he's still engaged, he's still interested. Simon hasn't given up on Jesus yet, and uh, good news, Jesus never gives up on us, and so he didn't give up on Simon yet either. And so, Jesus is going to reveal and teach some things to Simon, and teach us as well by telling him this parable. Jesus said, verse 41, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, and the other 50 And just some context, 500 denarii would be the equivalent of a year's wage, and 50 would be about a month's pay. So that's what we're looking at. Uh, But verse 42, neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown but whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And so as we look at the story of all the observations that we could make from this, one that we see clearly is that to the answer to the question then, who really is the sinner in this story? Who really is the sinner? We see Jesus is pointing out both of them. Both of them had debt. Both of them had sin, uh, as it's representing uh, in their lives. But this woman recognized what, frankly, we should all recognize, that, again, we've all fallen short of the perfection of God through our sin. And she recognized this, but nevertheless sees that even though in her not goodness, he is good. That Jesus is good and so good that he went to the cross for her, and would go for her, not to, quote, condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Again, John 3, 17. And so, so clearly, this woman has experienced forgiveness in Jesus Christ as expressing her thankfulness in that to him. But note that Jesus also wants to extend that same opportunity to Simon, to the Pharisee, who, again, recognizes whether the debt is large or small, that we all have sin and that it all needs to be forgiven. Those who think they are, quote, too good for Jesus. In fact, this verse that we've been looking at, John three seventeen, that God sent a son into the world to save the world, actually comes from a conversation with a Pharisee, uh, a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. And so we're going to look at that story too. So I'm going to invite you to flip over to John chapter three. And uh, so we're going to have two stories for the price of one this morning. You're lucky day. There we go. <laughs> All right. And uh, Nicodemus, who we're going to look at, like Simon, had also heard of Jesus and was genuinely interested in discovering Who he was, and that he was sent by God. And again, Jesus wants to offer him the same opportunity that this woman has received. This interaction with the Pharisee goes like this John 3, verse 1. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man by the name of Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night. And the reason Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night is because he's not sure he wants to be associated with him quite yet because again, he's a big time religious leader by day so he comes to Jesus by the darkness of night. In fact, you could say that Nicodemus was the original Nick at night. I'll work hard on this stuff for you all. All right. That's all I got. (laughs) Verse two, he came to Jesus at night, said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now, real quick, in fairness to Nicodemus, this phrase, born again, had not yet been used, and it's been used in lots of different ways now among us, but uh, Nicodemus is is reacting like any one of us would as logical people, basically saying, hey, the idea of being, again, born is illogical and gross, Um, so when you think about it. So anyway, verse five. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. And so you should not be surprised by me saying, quote, you must be born again. All right, now jump down to verse 12. They kind of hash that out a little further, but we'll kind of cut to the chase here. Jesus says, I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man, i.e. me, Jesus. And it says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, which is a story about forgiveness in the Old Testament, uh, that was really foreshadowing the ongoing forgiveness that was going to be offered in Jesus Christ. Verse 14 continued, that the Son of Man must too be lifted up. He's going to be lifted up on the cross. That everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And so basically, this interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus, Nicodemus is saying, hey, here's the natural order of things. Again, how we would probably respond you're born, you live, and you die. There's no getting back in the womb, okay? You know, we're, we're born on a date. We celebrate that date a number of years and then we don't get to celebrate anymore, we die. That's the way things work. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. You are focusing on just earthly things. I am talking about heavenly, eternal things because spiritually speaking, eternally speaking, actually you start off dead. That you are dead in your sins because of the sin that separates us from God. We are separated from God both in this life and for all of eternity in hell, without the work of what Jesus is going to share. And so we're dead in our sins, but Jesus came that we might be born again. That he came, that he died and then raised to a new life, that we too might be born again into a new life and have a new life, both again in this life and for all of eternity, that Jesus is the Lord of. And so Jesus is saying, you see, Nicodemus, it's not just physical birth, death, life. But instead, it's you move from death, spiritual death, go to and do the next slide there, to new birth, eternal life. And that is what I want, what you want, what we want for those who don't yet know this in their lives and in their eternity. That's what we want for your friends, for your coworker, for those who uh, maybe they had a bad reaction to um, this idea that maybe they're not good enough for Jesus and his church, maybe they think they're too good for it all. Maybe they have like an allergic reaction, you could call, because of a bad experience at church. But we wanna help your friends, your family members, those whom, again, you care about what God cares about. We've said this each week, and God cares about lost people, and so we care about them knowing this uh, reality in their lives. That we wanna help you help them move from a reaction to Jesus and his church, and invite them into a response. We wanna move them from a reaction to a response, that they might have new life and life eternal. And so the way that we're helping you help them is by asking everyone to bring someone, again, on September 6th and 7th, to one of those five identical services. And it's been interesting over the last couple of weeks having conversations about this event coming up over the last couple of weeks and that, we've made it very clear, you could say, the expectation of all of us to bring someone on that day. But the questions that we've been getting are, okay, now, what can we expect of the service? Like, almost this fear that, um, you know, are they gonna be like the center of attention, like in a, like one of those bad ways that, you know, it's like, I actually, I do wanna bring my friend to church, but you're almost thinking in the back of your head, like, maybe I'll just bring them on a normal weekend where, you know, they're not the guests. And so, we get all that, and uh, so I wanna give a little bit more understanding uh, to the intent of that weekend and what's gonna be happening. First of all, understand that this weekend, even though, quote, special, um, and this encouragement and what we're trying to do, really is a continuation of what we see as the norm, rather than special. Because we always care about what God cares about, not just one weekend a year, and we care about those who don't know him. And we are looking um, to invite you to continue to invite people, yes, other weekends as well, and to continue to care about what God cares about. Uh, For those who don't know, a relationship with God and Jesus Christ. In fact, to help you with this, Pastor BJ is leading a class, a new class on our Wednesday Night Equip series entitled, um, Inviting Your Friends on a Spiritual Journey, that you can continue to learn and grow in having these conversations, even though uncomfortable uh, with those who don't yet know him. Secondly, kind of in that same vein, uh, we don't see this single service as, quote, a silver bullet that the September 6th and 7th services, we're not saying this is the end-all, be-all to your, whoever you bring, uh, their journey with faith. What we are aiming to do that weekend is what we do every weekend is we want to recognize that just like today, there are guests among us and we want to be wise about that and we want to, in a clear, understandable and ultimately helpful way, communicate the story of Jesus Christ and the good news uh, that he has for us in our life and eternity in a way that's appropriate. So that, Thirdly, and this really is the goal of this weekend specifically and the way in which we're going to approach it, and that is we want to help everyone take their next step. That wherever they're at, whether pre, pre, pre wanting to talk about Jesus at all or really close, however you want to put it, we want to help everyone identify and take whatever the next step is. And so for some, it might be bringing them and just recognizing, you know what? Church isn't as boring as I thought. (coughs) Maybe just a little boring, but not as boring as I thought. Or that the people there—it's like, oh, I know other people from work, and yeah, it's like, okay, they're not—they're not as weird as I thought. Maybe a little weird, but not as weird as I thought. And uh, again, the service—we're going to kind of help that if it's a little boring or a little weird, we'll get them out quicker. It's only going to be a forty-five-minute service. And uh, and part of what we, again, being intentional with that weekend and being wise to those who don't understand necessarily everything that we try to explain each weekend, uh, we won't actually have communion served on that weekend. In fact, I remember my very first experience with communion. I came to church on like a Wednesday night deal and then finally came on a Sunday morning where they had communion. And I, I remember exactly where I was sitting. It was on that side and where I was sitting. And I remember passing the tray and this elder getting up or deacon, I can't remember saying, and this is the blood of Jesus. Come again. (laughs) And so remember no framework, no understanding of church talk or anything like that. So um, we won't be having communion on that weekend, recognizing it's a, a weekend, not for you per se, but for those who don't yet know him. Uh, But in light of that, we wanna give special attention this upcoming weekend, August 30th and 31st, to communion, that if we've been looking at these, quote, you know, eats and meals with sinners, that the ultimate meal with sinners, we could say, is celebrated in the night before Jesus was betrayed, the Lord's Supper, as we celebrate each week. So we're gonna give special emphasis to that uh, this next weekend in light of the big invite weekend on 6th and 7th. Okay. So we want everyone to take their next step. For some, if they can get beyond church is boring and weird, We might just invite them to respond to the question, hey, do you even believe that there is a greater being in the universe? Do you even believe that there could be a God? If so, then we would invite you, invite them to take the next step in exploring what Jesus and his church might have to say about that in their life. That someday by continuing to hang around here and ask questions and take some classes and continue to dialogue with you, that they would experience in the days ahead someday that which, another next step, we do pray, happens for many on that day. And that is we do pray that people would respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ to experience new birth in him, a new life both in this life and for all of eternity. You see, that's what Jesus was ultimately getting at with Nicodemus. That's what he's ultimately getting at with us and for everyone who would walk the face of the earth. And so pick that up one more time. John chapter three, picking up in verse 14. Here's the whole reason and the whole meaning behind being born again, uh, to use that phrase that Jesus used. Verse 14, it says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the, man must be lift- so the son of man must be lifted up. That everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And then here's a familiar verse. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then verse 17 again. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. And so that's our hope, that wherever, whoever you bring is in that process, that we would help them to take that next step by being here on the 6th and 7th, uh, being at the senior's lunch or the celery night fever. All of these are opportunities to connect people to taking their next steps in Jesus Christ. And so that's what we expect. Uh, But I don't want to blow past, uh, we said it last week, what is still true of 100% of the people in the room today. This is not easy. This is difficult. This is uncomfortable. This is awkward, just like a junior high stand is awkward. Just like this situation with this woman barging in, and you know, you got the distinguished guests and Jesus navigating all that, talking about faith and navigating church and invites and all that stuff. It's not easy. It's uncomfortable. That's why we like to talk about easy things like sports or you know the weather. You know, people always want to talk about the weather. It's like, oh, how about that weather we've been having? You know, 100% chance of weather tomorrow. You, you check it out. It, And so these things are easy, but talking about faith and church, given all the different reactions people have had, these things are difficult. But lest we forget, even though uncomfortable, even though difficult, every single one of us, every single one of you, myself included, is here today because somebody was willing to have a conversation, an uncomfortable conversation with you, Every one of us is here because someone was willing to have an uncomfortable conversation with you. And it might not have been with you directly, but maybe a couple of degrees of separation. Maybe with your parents or with your grandparents or somewhere along the line that has changed not just your life, but your eternity and the life and eternity of generations to come. And so, recognizing this... Uh, to help us in realizing that as someone didn't give up on us or someone down our line, that we might not forget to not give up on those who God's called us to, again, be invited into taking a next step with a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so I want to help us in this, in that, um, in the bulletin that you received on your way into worship, you'll see on the back, uh, in the sermon notes section, um, there's four lines there. And um, I wanna, also you're probably need a pen unless you can scratch really well. Um, so grab a pen, grab a bulletin, and on that first line, I simply want you to write uh, your first name. On that very first line, just everyone write their first name. And then on that second line, Uh, As far back as you can trace it, maybe it's pretty not too far. Maybe it's somewhere down the line. Who is it that because of them, because of who, you are here today? That you know a relationship with God through Jesus Christ because of them? I want you to write their name on that second line. And then on that third line. I want you to write the name or the names of the person or the people that you are praying for, that you are inviting on the weekend of the 6th and the 7th, uh, that you're investing in as you invite that you invest in their lives as you invite them to know Jesus Christ. Who is that person or who are those people? For me, again, Josh Chittick invited me time and time again uncomfortable conversation no after no after no until finally my life was at a place where I was okay maybe a little more open to what God might have to say in it and obviously my life and my eternity and generations thereafter, me will be forever changed because Josh didn't give up on me and the question is and on that last line because of you of you, I want you to run that last line because of you, because you are not going to give up on that person, might they know, a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Uh, maybe more accurately, it's got to work through you. Uh, it's definitely more accurate. And so given that reality, um, we're going to close with prayer, close the message, and we're going to um, give credit to God for all this here uh, in, our, in communion. But let's pray that God would, in fact, uh, do what he does as he invites us to do what we talking. I invite everyone, all of us, to pray together. So let's pray. Father, as we look at the names on these uh, that we've written down, uh, we first of all want to recognize uh, and give thanks to you for those who were willing to have an uncomfortable conversation, either with us directly or with uh, someone who's gone before us in our in our family. Father, we're thankful up on us, that we might know you. And so in the same vein, we ask that you too would give us the courage and the boldness uh, and the words and the wisdom uh, to, as you say, plant and water the seed of your good news in lives that you called us to. But ultimately we pray because it says in your word that even as we plant water, that it's it's only you that grows. It's only you that brings the fruit. So we ask uh, that you would in you that in these that as we consider the the links in the chain that connect uh, these people to you. Uh, We don't know if you're calling us to be the final link in that chain where they get connected to you here on this weekend. Uh, We're going to trust you with that. Uh, But we ask God that through the power of your Holy Spirit that we would speak up and ensure